Today's episode of the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast is brought to you by Zombie Brand Cereal. Bored of the same old breakfast? <sighs> then try Zombie Brand, the cereal that turns you into the walking fed. Now a new Raisin the Dead flavor. Not available at any retail store near you. Nick, 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 Nickelodeon Studios in Burbank, California. This is the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. Hey everyone, Hector Navarro here. Welcome to the Nick Animation Podcast. Chris Savino is my guest today. I cannot wait to talk with him. Chris has worked on shows that we all know like Ren and Stimpy, Rocco's Modern Life, Dexter's Lab, and Samurai Jack. But we are all about to know who Chris Savino is in a big way because he has created his very own show on Nickelodeon. It's called The Loud House. So after a lot of years of being a producer, a director, a board artist, character designer for someone else's show, he is finally doing it on his own show. So let's get into it with this immense talent, Chris Savino. You have a sexy voice. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really appreciate <laughs> yeah, that, Chris. Pretty smooth. I really do. Uh, I, this is not actually what I sound like. This is all fake. Oh, you uh, got the sexy button on. Yeah, right. I got that sexy button on. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> uh, first of all, this is really, really exciting. You have got a new show coming out this year. Uh, that I can't wait to talk about. It's called The Loud House. It is. Can you tell us a little bit about it? The Loud House is about an 11-year-old boy who has 10 sisters and what it's like to grow up in a family of that size. I'm uh, one of 10, and uh, I bring a little bit of my experience into that. I have five sisters, not 10 sisters, but um, it is about the chaos and how you kind of survive in that um, in the role uh, of, of brother or sister in a household where you can easily be overlooked because there are nine other children too who need um, attention. Before we get into that show even more, because rewind. I want to unpack it, let's rewind, Chris. <laughs> let's go all the way back to the beginning. I want to ask some questions, some of my favorite questions to ask. Do you have a first memory, your earliest memory of animation? Uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, my My... Passion growing up was comic strips, and I started drawing at four, tracing or copying Peanuts comics from the um, from the newspaper, etc. And you know, I, I watched cartoons from a very early age, Underdog or whatever was on in the afternoon when you get home from school, um, Rocky and Bullwinkle, Warner Brothers cartoons. Um, but you know, I didn't even think of animation as a career until my senior year of high school. Um, it was just it didn't connect with me that I mean I knew people made cartoons but I didn't realize that would be something that I could go after and um, I'm from Michigan so the the thought of moving to California to make cartoons just seemed way 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 out of reach for me and it never occurred to me that was something I could achieve yeah uh, so newspaper comics was something that 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 I always wanted to do and still do to a degree um, whether newspapers exist or not in the future. Uh, but it, and as you can see, when when the Loud House does finally make it to air, you'll see that there's that influence in there. It's almost like a love letter to to my passion of comic strips uh, as the visual cue for the show. Let's talk about the epiphany that you had senior year in high school. Mm. What was that? Was it a specific moment, or was it like what was that realization like? Uh, well, that would have been 88, 89, 1900s. Um, right. But what was it? TBS or some cable network was just starting to re-air the Warner Brothers, the Looney Tunes, mm -hmm. and they had not been on TV for a while. And if you bought the, the the VHS cassette tapes, you could watch it there. And I couldn't afford that, so they just started re-airing them. And I I remembered my love for 
cartoons. And uh, it was at that time I discovered that there were actually schools for uh, learning animation. Right. And it, it blew my mind. Yeah, like, right? <laughs> people, you get taught how to do this stuff. So it was, it was a slow roll of like... Uh, I, I like drawing cartoons. There's schools for teaching you how to be in animation. And it was at that time where I was aware of the people making cartoons. So I had cool. started, uh, you know, the, the directors for Looney Tunes had long since passed or retired. So it wasn't them. It was the more current people. Mm-hmm. And coming out of the 80s and nothing to, to knock, you know, He-Man and Voltron and those cartoons. I watched them sure. uh, as much as anyone else. But there were some cartoons that were being made that, could tell we're being influenced by those Warner Brother cartoons, and that would yeah. be the new adventures of Mighty Mouse, Ralph Bakshi, and John yeah. Lucy. And I started taking note of those directors and those writers and aware of what those people were doing and followed them uh, from whatever jobs they were doing um, throughout my entire senior year. Mm-hmm. And I ha- was lucky enough to have friends who, although not artists, enjoyed watching cartoons as well. So instead of going out and partying or whatever, we would really sit home and watch cartoons with each other. Rocky and Bullwinkle was another one when finally they were all released on mm-hmm. video cassette. It was that was the thing we would sit down and do is watch cartoons. That's awesome. How did you end up getting to work at Nick early on? Oh good. Because uh, yeah, you were uh, uh, on Rocco's Modern Life. Yep. And then Hey Arnold after that. Yep. You were a character designer, storyboard artist. How did that happen? Well, it's linking into the schools. Um, you know, I didn't go to school. Um, I graduated in, in 1989. And at that time, I was really into animation and experimental animation. And anything that came through in the animation festivals is really where you could see anything new. Cool. And it just so happened that um, John Chris Felusi had done a short or an animated short called Big House Blues, which had Ren and Stimpy in it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't yet a series, but I knew his name from my collection of baseball cards uh, with all the stats from of cartoonists on it. But um, it was so impressive, and it was so different, but so uh, hearkening back to the, the golden age of, of, of cartooning that it was just, it hit me like a Mack truck. Just people are doing and want to do something different than the cartoons of the 80s, the commercial yes. cartoons yes, of the 80s. Yes, totally. And um, so, you know, that was great to see that. And I think they had switched over and they were doing some uh, Beanie and Cecil cartoons mm-hmm. uh, that were starting to air at the time. But I thought, you know, I, I had a subscription to Animation Magazine. And it was a small blurb in it that said that Nickelodeon had picked up Ren and Stimpy as a series and John Chris Felusi was making it out of Spumco in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And as, as, you know... Without the internet, you do what anyone would do is I went to the library, got the Los Angeles phone book and looked up the address for Spumco on Melrose in Hollywood. And (laughs) sure enough, it was in there. Um, So I wrote John, looking back now, it was a really butt-kissing letter. I mean, it was just kind of praising what he was doing and what his um, team were doing to kind of change the face of, of cartoons. Uh, at the time, and I wrote him a letter, and I did. I sent him a drawing that I had inked because I thought that's what they wanted to see. Yeah, and it was, you know, it was a silly drawing of a really overweight Scarlett O'Hara being held up with a struggle from a really skinny Rhett Butler, and it was like gone on a binge was what, what the title of it was. <laughs> and I sent that in there and 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 mailed it to him through snail mail, you know. Yeah. Um, so two weeks later, I got a phone call, and it was John Chris Felusi on my telephone, like the telephone that was connected to the wall still. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And he said he, he got my letter and he appreciated it and he liked my drawing. But if I could send him more of my sketches, loosen up a little bit. Yeah. I want to see how you construct the drawing, not this final stuff. So, um, you know, I'm impatient. So I'm like, okay, yeah. I can't send it in the mail. So I did this thing called faxing uh, yeah. that was brand new at the time. It was on <laughs> thermal paper. And I had to go to a specialty shop to do it and borrowed like 10 bucks just to send some drawings. <laughs> This is making um, me feel so old. <laughs> it makes me feel old, I'm telling you. Uh, my career is almost as old as Nickelodeon, which Great. is amazing. Um, but so two days later, he called and literally said, "Just if you want a job, you've got a job." And no it was way. like five hundred bucks a week, and it like I was on the floor. I couldn't believe like five hundred bucks a week was like riches. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I just asked myself, can I wrap up a few things here first? And I drove yeah. out here in April of 1991. Wow. Um, so technically it was Nickelodeon, even though it was under Spumco's yeah. um, mm-hmm. shingle that uh, that I started working. And it was a short gig. It was, it was seven months. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that first season was wrapping up. My job on it was wrapping up. Um, but I feel like I got to meet some interesting people. Obviously, oh, yeah. the best cartoonists in the industry were all working uh, for John at the time. So it was... It was all at once like the best experience of my entire life and also the worst because it, you know, you're coming out of Michigan, you're like the only cartoonist, so everyone like asked you to draw stuff for them, so you're like the guy. And you come out here and you were nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I realized I didn't know anything about making cartoons, drawing, you know, all these things I felt like I just needed to start from scratch, um, which leads to a couple of odd freelance jobs here and there, yeah. you know, doing in-betweening or assistant animation, which, you know, I'm not going to say which job, but they asked if yeah. I knew how to in-between, and I only yeah. knew the word from reading it in books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was like, of course I know how to in-between, so, <laughs> which I didn't. I learned really fast on the job. But you're um, a scam artist. You were totally, scamming everyone. <laughs> um, don't tell Nickelodeon. Okay, cool. Um, so... I was working at a at a studio in uh, doing commercials in uh, Hollywood called um, Playhouse Pictures, and they had been in business for decades. Mm-hmm. And I took the bus. I didn't even have a car, and I was living in Sherman Oaks, so my bus drive was really yeah <laughs> long in the morning. Yeah, but there was one dude who would get on the bus at the every day at the same um, stop, and he wore had this Nickelodeon jacket. And it wasn't like I was going to ask the guy out or something. I was like, but I I was like, I gotta approach this guy. I gotta yeah, approach him. And, like, I finally got the nerve one day on the bus, and I tapped him on the shoulder, and it felt like I was asking him, I'm like, yeah. uh, you work for Nickelodeon? Because I was excited to actually see somebody that did. And I saw him get off at the same stop every day as well. Yeah. And he's like, oh, sure, I'm, I'm a, he was a production manager or something on this new show called Rocco's Modern Life, and Joe yeah. Murray was the creator. He's, he's like, are you a cartoonist? I'm like, oh, yeah, I, said, I'm, I work doing in-between, but I really want to get into TV animation, and I knew that was my thing. You know, I'd always said I wanted to be an animator, but I realized really fast that that is a slow, tedious thing that I just was not going to be good at. Right. So he's like, uh, the studio's right here, and this is the building. Bring your portfolio by. So the next morning, of course, with my portfolio in hand, I got off that bus stop with him. He walked me in. I met Joe, showed my portfolio. Um, they offered me a job doing... Um, at the time, which was storyboard cleanup. Mm-hmm. Um, but I took to Joe's style really fast. I really liked his loose, cartoony style mm-hmm. in his comics and in his animation. And he saw that, and he started asking me to draw some of the character designs for episodes. And it just cool. slowly transitioned from from doing cleanup uh, storyboards to design on that show. Yeah, uh, And that was kind of my first, you know, I think I was... 
20 at the time. Uh, my first job with, with John was 19. Um, so, I, so that was really the first step into Nickelodeon. Wow. Um, I look back now, like they called me the youngest one and the kid and all that. Yeah. And now, you know, I am that guy with yeah. the young ones, <laughs> the 22, 23 year old That's awesome. employees. <laughs> Let's move over to, okay, look, we're talking like mid, late 90s. Mm-hmm. I think this is around the early 2000s. I think this is around the time you moved over to Cartoon Network and started doing some stuff there. You did Dexter's Laboratory. Right. You did the Powerpuff Girls. Right. You did Samurai Jack, yeah. one of my favorites. This is really, really cool. Talk a little bit about that era and kind of what you were doing there. Uh, sometimes, you know, I learned early on, sometimes you have to step out to step up. And I had reached a plateau on Rocco um, that... Uh, that as a character designer, I really wanted to move into storyboarding. And I learned a lot from working uh, with Steve Hillenberg and Mark O'Hare and Doug Lawrence and Robert Skull, um, Dan and Swampy, et cetera. But they were just so good. They weren't going anywhere. So there was just, there were no opportunities there. Um, And I knew I needed to get out in order to to move up. And um, I was freelancing. I did a freelance board for Gendy on Dexter's Lab early Mm -hmm. on and um, may have been 96. Mm -hmm. And... I remember the day I was going to pitch because that's when we had that weirdo North Hollywood shootout thing that a lot of people may not remember, but there was weapons and death involved. And I remember watching it on the news as I'm preparing my pitch to go into (laughs) Hanna-Barbera to pitch this thing. Oh, my goodness. Well, my pitch can only be great because by comparison, that's crummy. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, I was was excited and nervous and... um, and it was then, you know, we were drawing on paper of all things. Yeah, I remember you pinned paper. it up on the wall and you had yeah. to pitch it with a stick. Uh, so <laughs> the entire Dexter's Lab crew go to these pitches. So, of course, I'm sweating bullets, but I'm walking with, with one of the production assistants and she, she was like, oh, well, good luck on your pitch. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited. I hope this works out and I can get like a, a position on the show. Yeah. And she's like, oh, yeah, you didn't go to Car- um, CalArts. And they're like a real CalArts club here. Wow. They don't really let anyone in from the outside. I'm like, well, that was a good thing to hear before a pitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the pitch went good. And Great. the episode, I think, was called DDB Deep. And, okay. you know, I turned in my storyboard after the notes. I did my notes and turned it in. And sure enough, they offered me a position. Let me ask you a question. Uh, did you have any idea what Nickelodeon would turn into what it could be when you were there early on well i had enjoyed nickelodeon even when it was pinwheel uh on cable we had early cable and yeah. you can't do that on television and danger mouse and, and all those shows and it felt like a network that got kids they understood kids and yep. where kids were at the time and how to speak to kids oh yeah uh so stepping into that you know with ren and stimpy it was obvious that they were they changed the face of cartoons for all time beyond that yeah um, and I could see a show like Rocco's Modern Life may not have gotten that chance if Red and Stippy hadn't set that that totally that, uh, foundation for it. But you could tell Nickelodeon was doing something different, and Cartoon Network really didn't exist at the time. But That's right. you know, you had your Disney shows, which have their own stigma or their own um, style. Sure. That. You know, if that's what you're looking for, that's what you get. But this stuff felt like it was people who understood kids and what kids wanted. Yes. And it was a wide range of cartoons, um, from like 
like uh, Doug yeah. all the way to something like Ren and Stimpy and everything in between. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it, it reached a super wide audience. And of course, there were less stations to tune into sure. back then. <laughs> but I think everybody felt that there was a like a Wild West happening of, of not only cable networks, but cartoons. And, and they were trying things that hadn't been done really at all yeah. uh, before that, especially coming off the, the decade of the 80s. That's so um, cool. I don't think we really knew how big Nickelodeon would be or how long it would be around, but we all yeah. felt, I think we felt we were part of something special on Rocco, especially when the show came out. And even 20 years later, talking to kids who are older now, but when they were kids watching it, how mm-hmm. how much they loved that show. Yeah. And to us, we were just making a show. We were making a show that made us laugh and um, we didn't know we were making something irreverent or something that was going to be long-lasting, but it certainly yeah. was and is something that people kind of... Um, when you when and, and it's funny to say, hey, I worked on Rocco's Modern Life to see their eyes oh, light up. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I <laughs> love that show! It was yeah. so good, and this joke and that joke, and who did this? And you know, there's plenty of inside jokes in yeah. in the series, but um, almost all those guys and gals kind of went off and did amazing things. SpongeBob yeah. came out of it, and, yeah. Um, a lot of other shows, um, preschool shows, coming off of the people who worked there. But, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, those guys were all really talented, and I think that they were all figuring out who they were as storytellers and as cartoonists and as directors, et cetera, on that show. And Joe, as well as Nickelodeon, gave those people the freedom to kind of experiment and not only make a great show there, but kind of prepare themselves for what they went on to do afterwards. <laughs> Good is new. Uh, so you did a short that, that turned into The Loud House. Yep. Uh, tell us about that. Uh, well, the overall deal, again, was coming in and, and working on the projects that they had. And at this point, I've got enough years behind me to be considered a, um, what would you call it, like a mentor to the younger artists coming yep. in, etc. Um, just to kind of be involved in all the projects they have going on and give mm-hmm. my input, give thoughts based on experience, etc. Mm-hmm. So they had this shorts program, and I think that that, you know, I had missed the first season of it. And I think the fact that they set out to do a shorts program and they actually made the shorts 13 of them I think what to me was fascinating I'm like I want to be a part of this so as part of my deal I was involved with some of the younger shorts creators cool and my deal also guaranteed me a short Loud House was not the first pitch I had three ideas that I pitched Loud House was one of them um, I won't Say what the other two were okay. in case I want to pitch them someday. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, but again, some people know, some people don't. Lad House was originally about a boy rabbit with 25 sisters. <laughs> and the joke was that, you know, rabbits multiply. Yeah, that's. need seems to say that out loud. <laughs> but yeah, they were all the same age. And it was the same idea of kind of being the only boy in this family full of girls and how do you navigate this? Absolutely. And it was the only way to make him stand out was make him a boy. I suppose right. that there could have been many boys and girls in the family, but to make him really stand out as the main character mm-hmm. uh, I think that that was the only way absolutely um, and so that short I had pitched as part of the shorts program and I had done a couple worked on a couple pilots here as well d- mm-hmm. uh, directing them uh, trying my hardest to help people get their shows sold to series I think at this point in my career I felt like I had hit the ceiling as far as what I could do I had run a few shows produced a few shows and everything underneath that but I felt like I kind of I resigned myself to the fact that maybe I was not a show creator 
and okay. that this was going to be my lot. I was like, I will yeah. gladly do this job for the rest of my career. Yeah. Um, and so anytime they brought a project forth, I was like, I'm going to give it 110%. I'm going to help you, person, yeah. sell this thing. Everything that I know, I'm going to help put in here. All the problems that I've experienced and the pitfalls, I'm going to help you avoid these things. So right. I really did my best to help these people. And I think that they saw that in uh, what do they call it selfless i guess selflessly yeah. helped other people to achieve the thing that i think that i couldn't yeah <laughs> uh so my short which was the loud house is the one they picked we had a relatively really <laughs> good meeting about what the story was going to be we had what was it, two and a half minutes we got to mm-hmm. tell and jenna took me aside afterwards and this is like people ask what's the best piece of advice you ever got this is it right here okay uh she just said these four words consider making them human and in my brain, <laughs> it, I exploded. I was like turning desks in my brain because I'm like, no, I want to do Funny Animal. I'm tired yeah. of doing human shows because they're just they're looked upon differently. You can't have the same freedoms as with Funny Animals, et sure. cetera. But by the time I made it back to my desk, it was like a three-minute walk. Yeah. I, I realized she was absolutely right. And, and oddly enough, as soon as we switched gears and made it human, everything started falling into place yeah. for it. It was all the problems that I was having and trying to figure out story. It was just solving itself. And I realized what I was doing was pulling from my own experiences and making the show based on, not based on my life, but based on like the honesty of and sincer- sincerity of growing up with a big family. It, yeah. it became infused in it. And I think people sensed that. Like they could tell, oh, you're from a big family. I could see that yeah. you experienced these things. <laughs> When I repitched the story with humans, like, this is what I want to do. I was like, mm-hmm. what's something universal that every kid, whether you've got 10 brothers and sisters or none, knows? And, well, it's going to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, this is about running the gauntlet of going from your bedroom to the bathroom, and you've got all these sisters in the way yeah. stopping you from your goal. Just a tiny story. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want to introduce all 10 sisters down the hallway. Yeah. And she was like, Pfft. Sounds ambitious, but good luck with that. And I was like, oh, yeah, Gauntlet is thrown. Just because of that, I'm going to make this happen. Good. And I literally went, okay, I've got to achieve this. And in the first minute and a half of the cartoon, we get to meet every sister in some way or another. Right. And I think by the end of it, you know who every sister is it's and great. what this kid is up against. Totally. And she, it was because she <laughs> rolled her eyes at my my enthusiasm to try and introduce all 10, 11 characters in, yeah. in, in two minutes. I love it. Uh, so, you know, it became... I think I think it's because it was universal and people understood the themes of the show, siblings, mm-hmm. as you said early on, and family. That it was almost... Like it was almost like the show you didn't have to pitch what the idea was, yeah. You know, and and to me, my entire career, you you're trying to come up with these high concept ideas. Yes, that this was the absolute lowest concept is just family. Yeah. Like, how do you pitch that? How do I even sell you on that idea? But as soon as you say a boy with ten sisters, that's all people need to hear, and they get it. That's that's amazing. That's <clears> such <throat> good advice. Again, one more time for our listeners consider making them human yeah so whatever you're working on right now just consider making them human we just ruined so many people's yeah. like things they're turning they're, desks right oh, now. i can't even, what that's crazy another thing i love about uh loud house is that i immediately uh related to lincoln within like five seconds because on his way to the bathroom he just rolled up a comic book he's like let's do this and i'm like that's my guy i get that i totally get that um, that might be based on me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. It felt like it was based on me. It was great. <laughs> and also, I really, really loved the way that you introduced those characters. And they're such great characters. And I think that it's it's super fun. And even though there's 10 sisters, it's also kind of simple that he's smack dab in the middle. Right. I love that. He's got 10 older sisters, 10 younger sisters. Five. 
I mean, sorry, yeah, five yep. older sisters, five younger sisters. Feels ten, like ten 20. together. It does. It feels like very many. <laughs> um, but they're great, and they each have their own uh, distinct sort of personality. Right. And uh, again, I I I heard about what the pitch of the show was, what the premise was, and I was I worried. I'm like, okay, the main guy is going to be the main guy, and all the other side characters aren't going to be as developed or interesting. Right, right. I love all the sisters right. almost as much as Lincoln, or even more. Because oh, it's great. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, he, he's got to be the everyman. He's got to be, right. um, you know, kind of represent everybody. In But he's also got to be funny. And we're very yeah. aware of, does he become too boring? And at a screening we did recently, it was a panel, and someone asked the question, like, do you find it's going to be difficult to write stories for all these characters mm-hmm. in the show? And I, I hadn't been asked that question. I didn't even think about it. But ultimately, you've got Lincoln as your main characters. And if, if it was only one other character in the show that he was kind of um, bumping against... That would be difficult because you've always got to recreate what their conflict is going to be. But because right. we've got ten sisters, yeah, we can go back to the to those sister wells each time. And it's like if there's a is an episode about uh, you know superstition, we can go to Lucy, who's kind of the emo one, and into those things. If there's yeah. an episode about science, we can go to Lisa. So we've got all these different personalities that we can kind of pull from in order to tell our stories. Mm-hmm. Or in which we do sometimes, it's all ten sisters have a very singular <laughs> opinion yes. which is opposite of Lincoln's and it's him against all exactly. ten in some way or another like when he's getting bullied by a girl at school right. they immediately rally and they're like aww because they all have the same exact idea yes. which is she likes you she's got a spoiler crush spoiler alert by yeah, the way right. <laughs> so good it's so good when a girl picks on you that only ever means one thing she likes you <laughs> that's ridiculous she shoved a sandwich down my pants sesame seeds out of my butt for days. So romantic. That's a classic. You guys are nuts. She hates me. I'm gonna meet her today and give her a piece of my mind. You need to give her a piece of your heart instead. What? Another thing that I really, really love about the show is that I feel like it's easy to to portray families fighting. Yeah. And I remember growing up with a lot of sitcoms that that was almost like common. Like there was this interesting shift for me growing up that went from the sort of classic family sitcom Everybody loved each other and had, didn't have any problems. Right. Got along, to go into this different, like, like um, you know, uh, anti version of that, right. you know, that was that was influenced by what a lot of people were like. That's kind of like a regular family, like Simpsons and Roseanne and all these different things. Yep. And they became just very like antagonistic. Yep. But what I love about Loud House is that Lincoln loves his sisters and he will do things for them, right. and they all support each other and love each other, yeah. even though they will, you know. Uh, annoy each other yeah, so it's great yeah you know he the fact that he's in the middle is is not necessarily an accident you know yeah. he for a while he was the seventh for a little while he was a little bit older and he had more sisters underneath him and then somewhere in the storytelling we realized that him being kind of literally the fulcrum of the family yeah. balance right yeah that there's five ab- above and five below and the people he can look up to and people that can look up to him etc all kind of came into play this is when they became human, that if he's the <laughs> fulcrum of it, any sort of thing, any um, and you know how a teeter-totter works, if he steps in either direction, it's going to tip. Yeah. So he's always upsetting the balance of the household uh, just because there's something that he wants as a character. Yeah. Um, usually, it's it's usually isn't because he has a negative reaction to what somebody's doing in the right. house. It's he's upset the balance. He realizes that and has to rewrite the balance of the house, get that fulcrum back in center. And uh, from day one, this has always been... Like the main point of the show is that there is love in the family. Yeah, that it's not a snarky uh, attitude that is mm-hmm. all negative. Uh, sure, there's fighting, but mm-hmm. it's 
it's always wrapped up in a way that has heart. And that was, again, going back to the the Dexters and the Powerpuff Girls, et cetera, yeah. was like, I was trying to instill moments of real heart in those, which didn't necessarily tonally fit with what we had been doing before. Right, that makes sense. Uh, it didn't fit. So, you know, I felt like there was not a success in that, mm-hmm. not because I was failing, but because I was trying to force that square sure. peg into a sure, round sure. hole. sure. Uh, but this was the this was the show that I realized like this is this is the point where I can do all the types of stories that I've wanted to do was stories yeah. with heart. There's absolutely zero reason why I don't, you can't watch a cartoon and feel. I think in a lot of episodes there are some that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up a little bit, or you get a little bit choked up in the in the way that the characters talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, of course, the actors bring that to the table as well. Yeah. I mean, there's a sincerity and an honesty in the way these actors deliver their lines that I think heightens that level of of, of um, heart in the show. Yeah. Uh, granted, we've got some episodes that are just fun and silly just to be fun and silly. It can't all be heart. Right. But at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to is that they are a family and they do love one another. And I think in the testing, that's what came out. And it's so good to hear that, the kids yeah. recognize that and actually want that. Yeah. They don't want to have Lincoln as a jerk or this sister's a jerk. You yeah. know, Lori's the the kind of the oldest and bossy and yeah, she is kind of uh the B word on occasion, but we always give her those moments where she's really genuine and tender with Lincoln yeah. and they have an understanding with each other. Yeah. Uh, cuz they're the two that kind of butt heads the most. Well, listen, it's tough. She's the oldest. That's tough. Yeah. That's tough. That's a lot of responsibility and a lot of, you know. Um but that's great. Last question, Chris. Yep. What do you want viewers Young, old, everybody, to take away when they watch The Loud House? That is a good question. Uh, that nobody's perfect, but um, if you try hard enough and work hard enough, you can solve those problems with your family. Yeah. Um, that even, well, for Lincoln, is that, you know, as a kid, he can admit when he's wrong and do something to fix it. But as a series, that there's nothing more important than family. <laughs> um, can I just have a minute? Just, just a real quick second, guys. Um, you are fine. Ooh, ooh, let me just collect myself. That's great. It sounded like you were talking about yourself for a second, uh, uh, which is beautiful. Just you're just talking about your whole career, and then you were like, listen, you know, you may not think you're perfect, but if you work hard enough and you're in the right place at the right time, that was awesome. You know, we learned, none of these things were boiled into the show from the yeah. beginning, but, you know, you, you learn these things as you go, and you realize what, what works and yeah. what makes the show tick, and then you just kind of keep going in that direction. That's awesome. Well, All Chris, right. thank you so, so much for talking to us today. I appreciate This it. has been really, really cool, really fun. Um, and uh, I can't wait to see more of The Loud House. And this was great. So thanks so much. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation with Chris Savino as much as I did. But I would love to know who you want to hear in the seat across from me. So find Nick Animation on social media and let him know on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. You're not going to want to miss an episode of the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. So please, please, please visit nickanimationpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts for more episodes and tons of bonus content like behind-the-scenes photos of me and Chris Savino from the podcast, as well as original production art from The Loud House. Thanks to the awesome crew who puts this podcast together. This podcast is produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana vasquez Eberhard, Kelly Smith, Andrew Hubner. Original music by Useful Creatures. All of the incredible social media for our podcast is made by Narbe Manassians, Greg Nix. And thanks to the man who works at controls and makes me sound better than I have a right to, Manny Grova. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast and keep watching cartoons. Cartoons.